So, Father, we're just thankful that we can be here together at camp meeting. And we're just, you know, it's just nice to wake up in the morning here and just have that beautiful, cool weather and sunshine. We're just thankful for that this morning. We're thankful that you're always with us. And we, we just pray for your spirit, pray for your guidance in all that we do and say. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's uh, another quick little spiritual nugget from Desire of Ages. In infinite wisdom, God chose the foundation stone and laid it Himself. He called it a sure foundation. The entire world may lay upon it their burdens and griefs. Did you get that? The entire world. It can endure them all. With perfect safety, they may build upon it. Christ is a tried stone. Those who trust in Him, He never disappoints. He has borne every test. He has endured the pressure of Adam's guilt and the guilt of his posterity and has come off more than conqueror of the powers of evil. He has borne the burdens cast upon Him by every repenting sinner. In Christ, the guilty heart has found relief. He is the sure foundation. All who make Him their dependence rest in perfect security. I was thinking that's kind of appropriate for a security seminar. (laughs) All who make Him their dependence rest in perfect security. I wish I could say to you today there was something that you could rest on in technology that would give you perfect security. Such a thing in this world, unfortunately, does not exist. <laughs> there is nothing like that. But we can. He can. He can. That is true. Absolutely. And we say that at the union office all the time. We do everything we can do security wise. And then we rest in Jesus and in his protection, knowing that he will take care of what he needs to take care of. Because what we're doing, especially in the church, and if you're working with a church or in your school, even in your home, it's all, it's all part of God's work. And it's his stuff. And so we say, it's up to you. We do, our, we do what we can do, and you take care of the rest. All right. A couple things of interest to look at this morning. Has anyone here used the E.G. White Estate app on your mobile device? Many of you have. I just want to go in there. If you haven't used it, it is available um, for free um, on any um, of the major mobile devices. It's called the E.G.W. Writings app. E.G.W. Writings. It's a very nice app. Okay. Writings spelled out, yep, EGW Writings. And I think the new one is called EGW Writings 2, with the number 2 on the end, right? And that's the, that's the more advanced uh, app. This is, this is a very good app in the sense that if you want to read her writings or you want to research, you can get free access. This, this is free. All the writings that she ever wrote are in this app. It's very similar, right? It's based on that same body of work. Okay. Yep. Does it have letters and stuff too, or is just? I believe it has all the letters. I think it has pretty much everything in it. I haven't checked that. Yes, and some other founders of our church. Yeah, I 
Right. Yeah, it is. Yep. Top left. Yep. Oh. Right. If you want to download them all. Right. To download all the books and writings. And it would take a lot of writing. So let me show you what I do. I actually don't download them all. I just download the ones that I'm interested in or that I'm going to read. And so that's what I was going to show you this morning really quickly. Um, first of all, I want to back here because I want to remember what I did here. Okay, I was on page 49598. Couldn't remember what page that was I had quoted from. So just I'm going to show you just a quick couple things because it's not the focus of what we're doing today, but just, just so you can get a taste. If you are in a, uh, a meeting and you're listening to a, a message and the, the preacher says, go to uh, quoting here today from Desire of Ages, page 598. Let me show you this. There's a little magnifying glass here in the top right corner. You can type, you can click that, and then it says search. You can put in here DA for Desire of Ages. You have to get those acronyms down, 598. See that? You can put the shortcut or the abbreviation for that specific book, a space and the page number, and hit your search option. And if everything works right, it will take you right to that page. And I don't know if you can see that from where you are, but it took me right to the top of page 598. That's that paragraph there. And you can see the quote I had this morning is right here. In infinite wisdom, God chose the foundation stone. It's a really sort of neat little feature. And I'm going to tell you, you know, most of the time, of course, people are pretty good at getting the right uh, references and quotes. But I have found on occasion somebody made a quote that wasn't exactly what was in her writings, or it wasn't there at all. We found one one time that, uh, in fact, the union office was getting ready to send out a communication with a quote from Ellen White. And someone came to me and said, can you help us verify that, this quote from Ellen White? We want to make sure we have the right reference. In fact, that quote wasn't even an Ellen White quote, turns out. It was something completely different. It was a good quote. It wasn't necessarily heretical, but it just it didn't happen to be Ellen White. So sometimes it's nice, you know, and preachers sometimes appreciate it if you go to them after and would just say to them, you know, it's very nice what you were saying today, appreciate that, but just uh, you might want to know that that's maybe not exactly where it is or, or here's the actual reference. So a lot of times when I'm in there listening, like I was last night with Doug Batchelor, every time he makes a quote, I just, I just like to go look at it. So I'm hopping in here and I put in that whatever book it is and the page number, it's there. Okay, so that's one thing. The second thing I want to show you in here that's really interesting um, is if you go into a books, if you go into the, I'm trying to get the screen to, I guess you have to go that way. So here's, here's all the books that she's written. And you can see next to each book, like here's Desire of Ages over on the far right. You can see the far right center, Desire of Ages. And you can see that down arrow there. That means that I haven't downloaded that book. So I can click on the Desire of Ages. And once I click on that, you'll see now I can hit download. Okay, so I'm going to do download. And then that'll pull it down to my iPad if I have enough bandwidth. 
to do it. Usually these aren't too bad, a book at a time. They're pretty small. You know, books, books are very small in terms of overall size of computer files. Compared to pictures and videos, and a book is, is really not that big. You could download lots of books and not use up much bandwidth. But I could see our internet is just a little bit sluggish here today. Usually when I do this, it'll take about 10 seconds. It's just, it's just very, very fast. So we, we must have a lot of people using internet today. You can't do this on laptops, though? Have to on tablets? As far as I know, they have not developed an app for a Windows computer or an Apple computer. Only for mobile devices. So iOS devices like an iPhone and an iPad or Android devices and tablets. Yeah. So now it's downloaded. But the other thing I wanted to show you here, now, that, now I have the book and I can use it in here, but there's another little feature in here that's sort of interesting and it works good on iPhone and iPod, iPad devices. I don't know on Android. I haven't tried it. But there is a, something here that says download EPUB file. Well, you, EPUB. You can kind of see it. Download EPUB file. So that's interesting. So you can click on that. Electronic publication. Right. This is a very specific uh, format, okay, um, that gives it the ability to be used in other apps. So I'm going to open it, and it's going to ask me, what do I want to do with that? Well, what I want to do with it is put it into my iBooks library. iBooks is the standard book uh, app that comes with iPhone devices and iPads. So I'm going to copy it to iBooks. And now, here is my iBooks uh, bookshelf. Let me go back there. Let me go back to the actual bookshelf. You can see I have some other books on here. But now I have Desire of Ages in my iBooks as well. Well, you may say, well, why do I need it there too? <laughs> it's just that for me, when I'm reading, I actually want to read on my iPad. I like reading in this app, in this, in this way, better than I like reading on the actual E.G. White writings. I take the book and I read it. Yeah, you select right, right. I still like the actual physical book. Right. Well, that. That's right. It is a challenge for the ABCs, really, because all these books are available online, and the younger generation, I don't think as many buy books. Um, you know, when I was younger, I remember everybody would buy books, a series, a series of them, but I just don't think it happens as much because they're here, and people like to read it here, and it's free. So why pay for something you get for free sometimes? Yeah. Well, it's also more I don't know. That's a good question. Right. And they have to ask the question about integrity. Integrity? Yeah. If you I suppose that's true too. Okay, so enough on that. Took a lot of time on that. All right. One other thing of interest that I wanted to show you is this website, askleo.com. Uh, Leo, askleo.com. So we'll go there and just take a quick look at his website. Come on now, there it goes. Taking its time here, coming up. 
AskLeo.com, anyway, is, is, a good, is a good website as a resource for uh, security and safety issues and other general computer questions. He's been around, oh boy, he probably goes back to the 1990s, maybe? He's been around a long time. But he usually has very good, very simple, practical advice for various issues. And so I'm going to go in here to, um, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Best articles, maybe? Let's see what that one does. Yeah, okay. Best articles, and I'm going to choose most recent just to see what he's got going on out there today. And you can see he's got a bunch of entries in here. What's a relay server? How do I print pictures from websites so they look good? How do I know if my machine is free of malware? Yeah. Did it? Yeah. Uh, how does uh, half a dozen uses for one drive? Why does my Microsoft Word document display differently? Lots of interesting stuff, and you can search his website for answers. But what I found is he always he's usually very straightforward, very practical in the way he answers questions and talks about computers. So just something that might be useful to you. I can learn more about how to use my computer. That is it. That's exactly right. That's, <laughs> so that would be helpful. Yeah. So from yesterday, just a quick review. We talked about several things, but we spent a fair amount of time with Todd. But I think my takeaway was, you know, if you have kids in your home, even if you have adults in your home, the, the bad stuff usually that can go on on a computer happens usually behind closed doors somewhere in a bedroom. And so if you just put your computer out in the living room and let the kids use it out in the living room, or in, the, or in the dining room, less likely you're going to have problems, right? Less likely. And then and we, my kids up, there was no yeah, it's a challenge. Having the screens like they have in this lab so the teacher can see all the screens, it's a really good idea, right? Really good idea. And I know in our little elementary school there in Eau Claire, when we were talking about how to put up, set up the lab, we made sure that the lab computers were all on the wall over here facing the room so that as the teacher's teaching and the kids are working, she can just look over there and see what they're on. Very simple. So we talked about lastpass.com and, and then again just a little reminder for passwords that we don't reuse them on different websites. We use different passwords for every account. and. The longer, the better. The longer, the better. Does anyone remember what I said was the best, or the minimum length, I should say, that, to make a good password? Twelve. Twelve. Twelve characters is where the thinking is today. Twelve. So, and remember, we can do fairly simple passwords fairly easily, even if they're long, right? A simple phrase can be a password. So. All right. Now, just before we go into the next section, I want to show you on a tablet, if you have LastPass installed on your tablet, you can see I have it on mine here in the left side here with the three white dots and the red thing. So I'm just going to click on LastPass. You can put this on your, on your um, tablet. Um, this is actually my uh, accounts on here. And so... If I want to go 
and my tablet and be able to use LastPass to log into something. Uh, let me just see if I can find one that would be interesting. Uh, I could go into Amazon, I guess. So if I click on Amazon here, and I say launch, what's interesting on the tablet um, is, if this thing will ever come up, there it is. Um, it actually, LastPass actually creates its own web browser environment on your tablet. So you're not using the, say, the built-in browser. You're using LastPass's browser in a completely secure environment, as secure as they know how to make it. There's an app for LastPass, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's what I'm using here. It's the app, app for LastPass. Um, so just so you can see that. Amazon one that allows you to contribute to a church or no, no, it doesn't. That's still fine. You can still do that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Just so you could see that that there's a LastPass app because we talked about that yesterday. All right. So today we'll we'll hop into two-factor authentication. We're going to talk about backups, encryptions, and some other things here. So let's jump into two-factor authentication. Two-factor authentication, sometimes called multi-factor authentication. Uh, abbreviated as 2FA, two-factor authentication. Has anyone here used two-factor? Okay. I've got some that are three. Yeah. Right, and there's three-factor, correct, right. Probably for some kind of a corporate or system. Yeah, social security. Yeah. Or yep. So basically you have a password and then something else as your second factor. That something else can be a code that you get on a phone or some other kind of device. Some of them provide the second factor can be an email, a second email address, or it can also be an actual phone call. And if it's a, to your home phone. So some of them have that option, not every single one. Another option that many are providing is something called a authenticator app. So Google has that now, which is an app that actually gets put on your phone. And you authenticate yourself to the app, and then every time you want to do to log in, you get a code or a, a sort of an option on the authenticator that says yes or no. I want to. Uh, this is okay to do. So what I want to do this morning is show you really quickly in Gmail how to turn on two-factor authentication. So if you remember, we have set up already a. Um, oh, this is not where I am. What is this? Zach? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let me go into my Gmail app. I have a, a fictitious Gmail account we set up uh, already with our uh, user called Florence Simmons. And I'm already logged into that account. And I'm going to go in there now and just show you where you go to turn this on. So in the upper right corner, you have the little initial that shows you your sort of your username. And you can see that there. And we're going to click on that guy that uh, option and choose my account my account okay and then you'll get a bunch of options about your account and we are going to choose sign in and security right here this option sign in and security and then we're going to go down uh, let's see, 
And here you can see where it says two-step verification and it's currently turned off. So we're going to turn it on. So just click on that. And it tells you a little bit about how this works, which we just learned about as well. Then we click get started. And it's going to ask me as I'm getting ready to turn on two-step verification. It wants to make sure that again I am the user, so it is going to ask me to authenticate with my password, which I will do. And then it's going to ask me what phone do I want to use for um, this particular verification. So I'm going to go ahead and put in my cell phone number. And I'm going to choose text message, but you can see here that if you didn't have a cell phone or a way to get a text message, you can do this with a phone call. So they can confirm with a phone call. So I'm going to choose next. Okay, Google just sent a text message with a verification code. Let's see if I got that yet. I'm waiting. Usually these come really fast. There it goes. It came in now. It's on my phone. I'm going to... Um, oh, I can't do that. Sorry. It just comes in and just says your Google verification code is, and it's got a number. Okay, so all I do is I type that number in, 710-329, and I hit next. It worked, and now it's saying, do we really want to turn this on? Are we sure? And we say, yes, we're sure. Okay, and so we now have two-step verification turned on via a text message to my phone. I can also now set up an alternate step if I would like to. Um, again, I told you about the Authenticator app. I could turn that up. Um, I could use a back and add another phone. So other ways to make sure, and I, if I was doing this for real, I might turn on an extra step here. I would probably add another phone. I think I have that on most of mine. A second phone or a second email. And the reason is, if I lose the current phone I have, <laughs> I could be in bad shape, right? If I didn't have any other way to get in. So it's a good idea to add another step, another phone, another device as a way to get into your account. Um, so that's the setup. And now let's go out of our account real quick and then we'll, we'll see what happens when we come out. Um, so we're gonna sign out and we'll sign in again. I don't know. I think it should ask us for the uh, authentication, but I don't remember here what it does. Yep. So now when I sign in, I've put in my password. And because I have that two-step verification turned on, um, it is asking me for the um, code. So, and let's see here. And now I have the code. Another code just came from Google on my text message, and that is 216. Five, four, six. And you can see that option now right below where I put that code in. Don't ask again on this computer. So if I have that checked, I only I do this verification once. Next time I log in on this computer, it won't ask me again for the second step. If you're logging in in a public computer, like at a library, then you would want to uncheck that box, right? 
because then the library's computer is public. You don't want that computer to bypass the two-step verification. But if it's your own home personal computer, of course, that would make sense so you don't have to do this every time. So now this account is suddenly much, much more secure, very quickly much, much more secure. And the reason is what? Even if I was not thinking and I used the same password on my Gmail account that I used on my Yahoo account, and Yahoo gets hacked, and someone says, oh, I bet he's using the same password, and they try to log into my Gmail with two-factor authentication turned on, they wouldn't be able to get in. Right. So it's another nice layer of protection to prevent that kind of thing from happening. All right. So that is two-factor authentication. Um, do I turn this on on every web account I have? Oh. Sorry. <laughs> That actually is, that is, code. That is HTML code. Zachary was working at something <laughs> on my computer. Yeah. <laughs> That's how a web page gets uh, coded, actually, if you're interested. Yeah, Zachary's been working on, uh, on setting up a web page for the Eau Claire Pathfinder Club. So he's been learning Bootstrap, which is a framework for HTML. Anyway, um, so would I... Um, Maybe I should pull that down so it's not distracting here. Um, would I turn on two-factor authentication on every website that I use? I, I don't, okay, because I don't feel like I need to secure every single thing that strongly. But I do turn it on. I do have it turned on on my primary email, my, my Gmail and my Outlook account. And I think I mentioned yesterday that I primarily use my Outlook account for my uh, banking and business activities in my Gmail account for all the other stuff I do. So, but, but I have it turned on for both of those and if a bank allows me to do it, I turn it on on the bank accounts. And I have it on my Facebook. But I don't do it for a lot of other stuff because it's just, it's not really important to me um, for that purpose. Okay, so that is two-factor authentication. Um, our next thing we're going to look at, uh, let me just see where we are here in our Scheme of things. I'll do the slideshow. All right. Oh. Okay. I didn't know I was going to do that. I talked a little bit about what if you lose your phone. Um, we did this quick demo here. And now I just want to touch briefly on staying safe when you're traveling. And some of you may think about this a little bit. I mentioned here that connecting to a public or an unknown Wi-Fi, you might think about that a little bit before you do it. I'm just saying that in terms of if I'm, say, at some Holiday Inn somewhere in Sacramento, California, and, you know, I want to do online banking, I probably won't do that through the hotel's Wi-Fi. I, I, it just makes me a little nervous. It's probably unlikely that you're going to have a problem with that. But again, I, I kind of run fairly, you know, I, I just, more security conscious, I guess, or I just, I guess, paranoid maybe. <laughs> so I don't, I don't like to do that. So what I do is I turn my phone into a hotspot and just connect directly to my phone. And then I know I'm on a connection that I feel is, is secure. Is it likely that you're going to get hacked uh, when you're sitting on a public Wi-Fi like that? Probably not, okay? 
it's not like there's hackers out there every location you go hacking away, but you know, I like to be safe. Okay, so two other things, I'm just gonna mention these as ways to deal with this when you're on the road. If you work for a company, sometimes those companies, corporations, will have what's called a corporate VPN. A VPN is a virtual private network, and essentially what that means is you are sitting somewhere on the internet, not at your company's office. Okay? So you're off-site, and the VPN provides you a secure, encrypted tunnel directly into your company's network. All your traffic from your computer goes through that secure tunnel to the inside of their network and then out to the internet. So instead of connecting and talking directly to someone that's on the internet, I mean to connecting from your computer directly to the internet, you're going through this very secure tunnel to their network out through their firewall and then to the internet. It gives you a, a much better secure connection and it also means it's very difficult for someone to sniff or snoop the traffic that you're involved with. Yeah, you have. I've used a VPN for quite some time, but I'm finding that locations, let's say Taco Bell, or like you said, going, are not are blocking VPNs. This can happen, right. I, 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 I yeah. quit using them, I couldn't even connect to them. Yeah, sometimes that's a challenge. So, they're good, but people are catching it on now. To prevent you from doing that, yeah. Right, so the Wi-Fi um, connecting, that, connecting that you're making connector that you're making um, may not allow it, may not allow the VPN connection. So I would rather not be on it, and it depends on what I'm doing, right? So if I'm just searching for something innocuous, I don't really care, but um, you know, if you're doing anything serious, I would, still wouldn't do it. And then I listed a couple anonymous VPNs. These are paid services, okay, uh, in both cases. Um, the top one there, iVPN.net, is actually in, oh man, what's the name of the country? It's an African country, it's an island off the, no, it's off the east coast of Africa. Uh, it's a fairly, Madagascar. Is it an island? Yeah. So I don't know why, but IVPN.net is located in Madagascar. And the reason is because they said that when they're there, they can protect people's identity and privacy completely. Yeah, that's one of the things yeah. with VPNs you have to be careful because not all VPNs are Right. I'm listing these two, okay? If you ever want to use one, I'm recommending these two. But understand what you're doing when you use one. So what you're doing is you're setting up an account with them, and when you use their service, you are connecting through a secure tunnel again, in this case, to their organization, wherever they are, and then out from them to the internet. You're trusting them, okay, essentially. So you're trusting somebody, in this case, you're trusting the anonymous VPN to keep your information secure and safe. To the best of my knowledge, these guys are very good at make, maintaining your privacy, and they claim that they will not share your information. And the internet, uh, you know, is a good source to figure out some of these things, and people will start talking about things if they think there is a problem. No one has mentioned any issue with these two, so that's why I list them. But it costs. It does cost, right. These are not free services. So. 
I think I think IVPN is somewhere in the seventy to eighty dollars a year. Well, I'm looking online right now. I, I, I think How I much does it say? A hundred? Oh, a hundred. Okay. Yeah. Right. This is for people that travel a lot, especially if you're traveling overseas. If you're doing international travel and you're not sure the reliability or what's going on with the connection you're on, you do this. I would really recommend doing this for sure. If it if it allows a little bit, like uh, you're saying, sometimes that even can't be done. All right. Right. Just want to talk now a bit about cloud computing. Um, cloud computing is, of course, it used to be a very small thing. This cloud computing stuff has just boomed in the last 10 years. I mean, it has gone from a, the smallest part of the internet to one of the biggest money makers. And I think I mentioned the other day that of the five big tech companies in the United States, all are involved in cloud computing at this point. Apple, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, they're all doing cloud computing. So what is it? You know, essentially, essentially all cloud computing is, is that you are using someone else's computer or someone else's server to store your information or to run some process. Why do we call it cloud? Does anybody know why we call it cloud computing? No, no, no. That's a good idea. No, that's not really where the term originally came from. It's, it came from a bunch of guys that were network geeks. Okay? And the cloud is the little symbol that was in the network chart for the internet. The, the internet was always represented on these network maps with a cloud symbol. And it sort of over time developed into this actual term that meant stuff on the internet. Yeah, so, so that's what it is. It's, it's, and all of you here most likely um, have used the cloud, okay? I almost can guarantee you, you have, even if you don't know you have. Because if you've ever used Gmail, that's cloud. Your, how is it cloud? Because your email is actually stored on their servers, not locally on your computer. Facebook, it's all built on cloud services. All your data, whatever you're doing, it's all stored up in the cloud, one could say. So those are the two biggies, probably, that most people have touched. Um, let's see if we can watch this video. I don't know. Let's see how this is going to work. Um, most likely, like I said, you've used one of these um, services. Is anyone here using right now uh, either Dropbox or Google Drive or OneDrive? A few guys back here that are doing it. Um, I've used all those services, um, and I still use OneDrive. I am in the process basically moving most of my documents, pictures and all that to the cloud. I haven't quite done everything. Um, I feel pretty comfortable with the cloud. Um, and the reason I say that is what I said earlier this week, you have to trust somebody 
And we always think that because the, or often people think, well, it's on my local computer, and so no one has, can get to it, it's private, it's, and to some extent that's true, but in reality, you're, you're still trusting the people that made your computer and that are running, that have that software sitting on your computer. So if you put, store all your stuff locally and you're running Windows, I mean, you're still trusting Microsoft is going to make sure that no one gets access to that stuff. Although the privacy statements for the computer people yeah. are much nicer, tighter than the ones for cloud. Cloud is like, yeah, we're going to use anything you give us, anytime. Right, and it would depend on the service, I would argue, with that. And then there's the survivability. Yeah. The what? The when I die, yes. my computer goes is it, in the grave with me. The cloud doesn't. Yep, yeah, that's true. That's true. You had a comment? Yeah. Um, you know, the thing is that you need the cloud with an internet connection. If you don't have one, then you're out of luck. Mm-hmm. Well, good, good internet. Good, yes, right. This only works with a good internet connection so, if you don't have so it. So there are pros and cons to both. Yeah. So we're counseled to live in the country. Yeah. Without I mean, in, in my last company, we went away from all Microsoft applications because of the cost, and they went with Google Docs. So everything we migrated to Google Docs. Hmm. So, I've done some of that, but you know there are times where local machine is sometimes better. Yeah. So it's there's pluses and minuses. Yeah. Here's here's my comment if you're going to use the cloud. I, I just I don't think you should go into it willy nilly if you want to do it. You, you need to really think about how you're going to do it. And so the main thing here is if you're going to put stuff in the cloud, that account needs to be secured with a strong password and with two-factor authentication, with both. You said that like these different things like the email, Facebook, and that, that were already in the cloud? <laughs> you are, right. So anything you have on there is already in the cloud. Absolutely. Holding around and everything secure? They absolutely, absolutely they are. Absolutely. I'm sorry, what's floating around? Anything you put in like Facebook or if you're using Gmail, those email messages that you're getting are stored in the cloud and they're stored there Permanently, essentially. Gmail archives them, but they don't delete them when you delete them. Yeah. So you sync with the cloud, like on the phone, I got a lot of pictures on here, but they take it off the phone and put it in the cloud then? It can go either way. So you can do it, most of the time it's a sync program, which means you have a copy on your phone and a copy in the cloud. You have it both places. So if you delete it on your phone, it doesn't get deleted? Not necessarily, right. It could. It just depends on the setting and how it's. Yeah, it depends on how it's configured. But most of the time, they're set, the programs are set up so that if you delete it locally, it does not delete it in the cloud. It just deletes it locally. So there are there's three services that you could that typically you're using for this type of stuff. You have iCloud if you're on an iPhone or an iDevice of some kind from Apple. Most of those, if you just sort of take defaults and set things up. You're storing your photos in the cloud, okay, in the iCloud, which is Apple's. If you have an Android device and you're picking defaults and you're just using whatever they tell you to do and you're storing it in the cloud, you're on Google's cloud, which is called, sometimes it's called Google Drive is, a, is, a, is, is the most common nomenclature for that. 
Um, and then if you're on a Windows 10 machine, okay, and you're setting up the default uh, cloud settings, you're using OneDrive, which is Microsoft Cloud. So you could be in all three of these uh, at any time. Windows 7 does not have any cloud stuff turned on by default. There is no cloud stuff. I mean, you can add it, but it's not in there. So I don't have things floating around on my Windows 7? <laughs> not unless you've turned it on yourself. I think I have my laptop. I have Windows 10. Yep. And my other computer, I think that's still Windows 7. I saw just... My you couldn't do that probably yeah all right but let me just show you really quick here um, what what it looks like on a Windows 10 machine so you can see see the cloud a little bit on here um, it's not quite as ominous as you might think, and I was describing it a little bit more there. Um, if you're going to put stuff in the cloud on Windows 10, you almost have to specifically do it. It's not going to do it automatically, like every document you save is not going into the cloud. You have to choose to put it there, okay? So let me just show you what that looks like on a, on a machine. And I'm going to show you this from Windows Explorer. Windows Explorer is the service or the program that lets you look at what's on your hard drive. And typically you will have a documents folder, which you can see here, and a pictures and a music folder. And if we go and look in that, you might find a few items. This is just a brand new account, so there's nothing in here. But I'm going to add, say, a Word document um, into my, into my uh, stuff here. This is going to be a test document. Okay. Yeah, no, I can't spell. Man. Close enough. Right. <laughs> and we're just going to save that. And so now we have a document. And you can see that document sitting out there on, in my documents folder on this particular laptop. That document is not in the cloud. It's just sitting on my laptop. If I want to put a document in the cloud on a Windows 10 machine, by default, OneDrive is set up. And you can see it sitting here on the left. Um, I would have to put that document here in the OneDrive documents folder. Can, can you just drag and drop? I can drag and drop it over, right? And that's let me just show you that. So I have uh, a documents folder right here. I'm going to open this in a new window so we can have them both open. And you can see here at the top, this one here says OneDrive, and then there's a documents. So you can see I'm in OneDrive documents, and then over here I'm in this PC documents. Okay. So the one that says this PC and documents is local. The other one is cloud. So I'm going to take this document that I just created and I can just simply drag and drop it over here. And you'll see now under the status, oh, it already went, it had a little arrow circles there for a very quick second because it just synced that up to the cloud. And it's a small document so it didn't take any time at all. But as soon as you drop something in to the OneDrive folder, anything under the OneDrive folder, it immediately goes up to the Microsoft OneDrive cloud. It immediately tries to sync it. How do you recover it then? If what? If it's in the cloud, how do you recover it? It's also here locally. Okay, so what it's doing is it's taking a copy from your local machine 
and pulling it up into the cloud. But the copy is still on your local machine. It's in well, both. You delete that copy. It doesn't, if I delete it? Yep. What if you delete it on your copy, but can you draw it on the iCloud? Do you have it in your, your documents folder on your local? I do as well, but it doesn't. If you deleted that, would it delete the one you put in the cloud? No. No. no I'm going to change the name of it here. It's driving me nuts to have to change the name. All right. So let me make sure I understand. So you have you have you have two folders here, okay? Right? They're they're separate places on your computer. This one here that says OneDrive Documents is just the name of a folder on your local computer. The other one that we looked at is also a local folder on your computer. This one here. Oh, what happened to that? Oh, I, I copied it over. Moved it. I moved it. That's right. Okay. But if there was a document here, this document would be completely just local to my machine. It doesn't matter. It's not going to, it's not going to get synced to the cloud. If you delete something on the cloud, it's not going to affect this folder. The only thing that affects what's on the cloud is in the OneDrive folder itself. But I think the question was, so here I am, I'm in my OneDrive documents folder that's on my local machine. And that document has been synced and is sitting also up in the cloud. Now if I delete it here, it will delete it in the cloud as well. Because this is a complete sync between an exact duplicate of what's local and what's in the cloud. They are an exact copy of each other at all times. Unless you tell it otherwise. So it's, if I delete it right now, it will delete it in the cloud. Copy, copy of it in the cloud because then I can access that document from wherever I am and on any other machine I have access to. Yeah, right, right. It's for convenience, it's so that it makes it simple for me. I can, if I had my account set up on my iPad, I could go and look at that document, test document, on my iPad and edit it on my iPad. And those changes that I make on my iPad would sync back to this local computer as well. Um, so. Sure, that makes it easy when you say it. So when you go to try to accomplish something like that, and you're not tech-savvy, tech it can be a difficult thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's, like for me, okay, I operate a radio station in Varian Springs, two of them, and they have one here, here at the campus, too, that they operate, okay? For me, I have my machine at home. Let's say I, I need a music file at, at, at the radio station. I can do the work at my machine at home on Windows 10, place it in one, OneDrive, okay? Now I can go to the radio station, which is four miles away, Windows 10 machine. I can go access the OneDrive, and now I can get that file to put it on the local machine. So that machine four miles away has a OneDrive in it, but it doesn't have the same information that you do on your computer though, is that right? No, if I were to set up the same OneDrive, then I can go get, no matter, I don't care where I am, if I'm in the hotel room down, at, down the street at Elma, I can pull up that file. So you need a password to get into it, is that right? Yes, right, right, yeah, if you're gonna log in. Right. This is what's on the screen right now. This is OneDrive.com. So 
what I'm in here on the screen now is I'm in my web browser, okay, and I went to the website OneDrive.com, and I signed in with my Outlook, which is my Microsoft credentials um, for my fictitious user, and then I went to the Documents folder, and you can see sitting in here, this is a way of looking directly at what is on the cloud in my account. And you can see there's that document, test document right there, that we started working on on my computer. I can click on that and actually I can look at it here in the cloud. So this is the document in the cloud. I'm not, I'm not on my local machine anymore. I'm in a web browser and I'm looking directly at it. Um, I guess it's so going to... I can edit it while it's in the cloud. Absolutely, yep. See that? I'm in. I'm in. I'm editing it right now. I'm in the cloud, and it's through. I clicked on it, and I'm I'm editing it. Um, so then, when you save it, it also goes back to the OneDrive. Yes, exactly. So that's what I want to show you here. I'm going to add something uh, to this document. Okay, from the cloud. So here I am. I've added something. And the other thing that's happening when you're in the cloud is you'll see on the top, it's, it's, it's saving it as I'm working. You don't even have to click save. And now it said it saved it to OneDrive. Saved to OneDrive. Can you see that at the top right here? Save to OneDrive. Yep, it saved it in the cloud. And now, and that, that happens automatically online, by the way. You don't have to click a save button. It's saving it all the time as you're working. I, I've worked on documents in like Word locally, and if Word crashed on me, I lost three hours worth of work on the local machine. But you haven't saved on the cloud? No. no. If, but had I saved it and did it here, I wouldn't have lost three hours worth of work. Worth work. No, that's no problem. So now we're going to open the same document on our local. I'm back. I've minimized my browser. And now I'm looking here again at my local OneDrive folder on my local machine. And here's that same document. If I open it, I should see that additional, additional text that I typed while I was in the cloud. And there it is. The exact same stuff. Now this is... It's, it's quite powerful, right, that you can do it that way. And I can do that on my iPad as well. Um, it works pretty well. Okay, so this is, this is Microsoft's solution. Google has the same type of solution, right, called Google Drive and Google Docs, and you could do similar things with that. What I would suggest is that if you're, gonna, if you're interested in the cloud, you pick one of these ecosystems and stick with it. So if you want to use Google's system, make sure you stick with all, use Google. And Google has an application you can load on a Windows 10 machine that will sync Google Drive to, to the cloud, anything you do on your local computer, as well as to your devices. Uh, iCloud, not quite as easy, but uh, there is some, some ways. I don't like the iCloud but, syncing tool. Yeah, and there are some benefits too, like if you work, probably most of you don't, but I'm now starting to work on both Apple machines and PCs. So, I, if I use iCloud on the Apple, I can't see it on the PC. If I use OneDrive on the PC, I can't see it on an Apple. So what I'm able to do then is use Google Docs. I can see either, either platform, I can see my stuff. Right. So let's say you have grandkids and they're in Florida and they have an Apple machine. 
Yeah. You have a PC at home. Well, you can take your pictures and put them on on, on the Google side in OneDrive. In, in Google, Google Drive. Drive. Google Drive. Right? Yeah. So now, whether you're Apple down in Florida or you're here, both you and your kids, grandkids or whatever kids, you can see the same pictures. Yeah. So there are benefits. You got to just understand what the nuances are between all these. Right, right. And there, it's very, it's very. I mean, it can be very useful, but you do have to use some sense of caution. And the caution I would suggest is, what documents are you going to put in the cloud? Do you want to put in the cloud documents, for instance, that are scanned images of your tax return? Maybe not. Maybe not a good idea, just because you want to be a little cautious. But I will say this. OneDrive and Microsoft, when they store your information and when they transfer your information, we call that in transit and at rest, okay? So if your document is in transit between your computer and the cloud, it's, it's encrypted during that transfer. It's completely encrypted. When it's sitting at rest on the Microsoft server or the Google server, I'm not sure with Google. I know with Microsoft, the document is encrypted at rest. And Microsoft will tell you that their workers don't have a way to get into the server and read that document. Part of the reason is, this is going to sound crazy, but this is how it works. They don't actually store the document on one server. They break the document up into pieces, encrypt it, and store the pieces on three or four different servers. So that if an employee was trying to read a document, they would have a very difficult time trying to figure out how to put those pieces back together. It's a very good idea. So it's reasonably, I'm just saying it's reasonably secure. Is it hack-proof? No. There's nothing that's hack-proof, okay? They, everybody does their best, and it's a good system. It's at rest with Google Drive. It's at rest with 128 bits. Encryption, okay. In transit. In transit, yeah. There, it's twice encrypted. It's 256 bit encryption, which is really more than one. Right, right, right. Anyway, and then it's it's well encrypted. And yeah, 256 yeah. is just hard. Yeah. When you see stuff like this, just computer stuff, it makes me wonder what kind of technology the Lord has. I know we just, we have no idea. We should ponder that. that. Is, we should ponder that. Yeah. yeah. The algorithm the Lord has, He's got many, and boy, I don't know that we can crack any of them. I don't think we can, and they are. So if you lose your password on OneDrive or a cloud or whatever, yeah, is it possible to recover that somewhere? Okay, so it is, and especially if you fill out the security questions, where they'll ask you for additional questions. Yeah, yeah. That helps, but the other thing, it depends on how you're using it. So if you're using the OneDrive and the Microsoft free service, it's a little more difficult. If you're paying for Office 365, which includes OneDrive and the like, I think it's $100 a year for a family, then it's much easier because you can call up somebody and say, I lost my account password, I have a relationship with you, can you help me out? But with the free accounts, you really gotta make sure you set up your passwords and your security questions and know the answers to those because it can be very difficult to get in, yeah, as you're aware. Even my work computer, where I was using Google Docs, um, every once in a while, you have to go through and update your password, and you got the two-factor authentication that yeah. comes up, and you know the text comes to your phone with the number, pop it in, you're on your way. So 
it's, it's pretty user friendly and secure. Let me, let me shift gears really quickly here, guys, because we're running out of time. And I want to really hit backups um, today. Um, I just, I can't tell you how many times someone has come to my office and said my hard drive crashed, can you help me out? It's happened a lot. Now it's getting less because people are using the cloud more. But if you're storing documents, pictures, and all this on your local hard drive, backups are really important. We hit this earlier in the week when we were talking about ransomware, right? If you get ransomware, your files all get encrypted, and you don't have a backup, you're in, you're in pretty bad shape. If you have a backup, you just go to your backup, restore, and life is good. So I just want to emphasize again here that use a backup system of some kind. I'm going to show you a couple options. Um, the rule of thumb is, and for businesses particularly, and churches should think about this as well for their systems, there should be a backup that's offline. It means it's not connected to your computer. It's connected while you do the backup, and then you unplug it after you do the backup. I, I, sure, yeah, a nice, a nice external hard drive works well for this kind of thing. Did, did some of the backup stuff come as a result of the ransomware and people doing all this kind of stuff? Yeah. Well, it's been around a long time, actually. This goes, this goes back to when I was in school in the 1990s. Yeah. Years, yeah. This is, this is common stuff here. But what's changed is the different ways you can do it. So in the early days, it was done on floppy disks sometimes, but more often on tape, okay, uh, tape drives. Nowadays, it's almost always done on some kind of external hard drive or drive system, okay. But for a, a local user or a small church, a small school, the options are you either can do this locally or you can do it in the cloud. And you've got to pick. And here's the different... Uh, benefits of both. Obviously, if you're doing it in the cloud, you've got to have a good internet connection. You're not going to be able to back up across the internet if you have a slow internet connection. It's, it's not going to work. So you've got to go to an on-premise if that's the case. I, you, you can a little bit, but it depends on how much you're backing up. A CD doesn't hold that much. Yeah. Well, you might be able to do it, but I still, if I was you, I would still do an external hard drive before I do that. Yeah, it's, it works a lot better. The CDs are not as, as easy to do. The which one? You mean the little thumb drive, USB, USB drives? Sure, if you can fit on there. And those drives are getting big. Yeah. Oh, 256 gigabytes now you can get even a 512. It's, it's very big drives, so yeah. There's a couple, a couple cloud backup uh, systems that I would recommend if you're interested in doing this. Backblaze is one, iDrive is another. They emphasize two different things, okay? Backblaze emphasizes their, their goal is that you have one computer, you want to back up that computer, and you don't want to worry about how much data. So they have an unlimited data plan. And you can, but you can only do it from one computer. iDrive's emphasis is, we don't care how many devices you have, you can have 50 devices if you want, but they do have a, a limit on how much data. So it just depends on your scenario as to which one works well. Um, they're both reasonably priced. So those are the two that I would recommend. Um, here's their websites. They're similar costs, actually. Similar costs. Yeah, I know. It's kind of funny. But Backblaze is nice. If you just have one computer and you have a lot of data you want to back up, Backblaze is great for that. 
Here's the websites for Backblaze. I also threw up here the Veeam backup program. Veeam is a, a backup system that we use, uh, lots of companies use it, but they have a free Windows backup program and it works really nice. It's fairly easy to use and install. What, what's the name of it? It's called Veeam. Yeah, I use the Microsoft one. But it's a built-in, the Microsoft built-in? No, no. Oh. It was from Microsoft Research. It's really oh, okay, I haven't heard of that one. But this works good and all you do is you plug in an external drive or USB stick and then Veeam recognizes that and you just tell it I want to back up my computer and put it on a schedule. Um, and again, what I would do too is you, if you're really concerned, get a couple backup drives and swap them. So you, you always have one unhooked from your computer. It's a good idea. And I'll send you these links again in the email if you've signed up up here. I'll put, make sure um, they're in there. We're just about done here. I just want to note, tell you one other thing. This is, um, I'm not suggesting here that everybody jump into this, okay? But I just want you to be aware of it that this is an option, okay? VeraCrypt is an encryption program that helps protect your sensitive data if you want to store it in the cloud. Or store it locally because you just want to encrypt it. So what it does, how it works, is you start up VeraCrypt and you say, I want to create a file container to put my files, okay? VeraCrypt will let you do that, it creates a little it's kind of like a little folder, but it's encrypted. And anything you drop into there is completely encrypted. It's very difficult to break the encryption of VeraCrypt. Nearly impossible. I mean, it's, it's a really, really good program. That's why we say it's industrial strength. <laughs> and it's free, okay? This program is free. So if you really are interested in trying to protect your data, this is the way to go as far as I'm concerned. I don't know of a better system at this point. It's based on years of research by a company called TrueCrypt, um, and, and they built, uh, VeraCrypt built on TrueCrypt's uh, technology. Again, with the VeraCrypt business, it's, I, 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 I'm telling you about it, but I, I know it's fairly complicated to get into, so um, it may be something if you're, you know, if you're really interested in security, you would want to hop into, but if you're, you're not so savvy or you're not so good at computers, then I would, I would recommend probably not jumping into that. It's, it's pretty complicated. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.